on this episode of the Tough Juice Podcast, I had none other than someone that who I idolize, and I know a lot of people like me that come from the walk of life that I come from idolize as well. Dr. Michael Eric Dyson, and we talked about many things. We went down the path of politics, President Obama. We also talked about Joe Biden task, his first 100 days in the office, what that would look like. And we also pivoted back to what we experienced in society as a people, as collectives, and how we've seen something that we've never seen before in our lifetime happen, and what the specific call to action should be going forward for people from all walks of life, but specifically people of color. Tune in to the Tough Juice Podcast on my YouTube page, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. I don't want no issues. Oh, woo, brother. <laughs> Not at this time. No way. The more money, the more problems. You be... <laughs> <laughs> so I, 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 I'm glad you brought that up. So I, I want to ask you, like, on a, on a serious note, like, what's your observation on everything that's been happening, you know, uh, around our world? Like, from... Uh, politics when you talk about athletes in that space like this what is your observation or what you've seen you know it's uh it's been an extraordinarily difficult year it's a year that challenges our sense of unity as a nation it has really threatened the kind of um stability that we've been able to generate over previous administrations, not the present one. And in one sense, tragic as it is, it was a fitting in to one of the most calamitous, chaotic and cataclysmic presidencies in the history of this nation, maybe arguably the most, you know, uh, with a racist in chief at the head of the government, with a guy who was sparking fury and furor not trying to settle things down, but this, you know, spark division and create opposition between groups and tribes and peoples and, and so on. So to have that dual pandemic, on the one hand, you got the, the global virus turning lungs to sponge and people saying, I can't breathe. And then you got the other pandemic of racial inequality turning bodies to nothingness as they claim I can't breathe. So both pandemics have the same cry, I can't breathe, but for dramatically different reasons. And then to see the athletes get involved, to see the NBA in particular, WNBA in particular, like take the lead because they are constituted of overwhelming numbers of black people. And these people ain't gonna just shut up and dribble They ain't going to just pretend like it ain't real. And these are their people and they see what's happening to their people and they can't just play basketball because on any given day, they might go out there and get caught up in the same thing and they know it. And to their credit, they were like, no, they are us and we are them. And to see what Milwaukee did in the bubble, you know, to see what George Hill and those guys did, and then LeBron and CP3 and all the other fellows that followed up. Um, you know, Jimmy Butler wearing zero because, like, he, that's what I feel like, right? Uh, nothing, no registration on the conscience of America. 
And when black men and women can play ball and entertain and titillate the nation, and yet their issues are not taken seriously, uh, that's a problem. And they stepped up to the plate and it was tremendous. So I was very um, proud of them and <clears throat> recognizing that we're in a space and a spot in this nation where we got to really uh, try to grapple with our racial future. And after the death of George Floyd, you know, you saw millions of people flooding those streets because for the first time, many white people got it. Like, oh, okay, now we see it. Because there were no more excuses, right? Before, well, you probably were running from the police. He's on the ground. Well, you probably were dangerous. He literally can't move. Well, you probably were disrespectful. He kept saying officer and sir. Well, um, you probably had a gun. No, he didn't. And so no excuse. Like, what, what, what you going to say now? The man is literally on the ground. He is begging and pleading for his life. Officer Derek Chauvin with his knee boring into this man's neck, asphyxiating him, a six foot six black man, that if it was a fair fight, he could have thrashed all of them. But it ain't no fair fight. And so um, a lot of white people like, well, whoa, you know, th this is different. This hit different. And we can argue with white people like, well, damn, didn't you see it in slavery? Didn't you see it in Reconstruction? Didn't you see it in Jim Crow? Didn't you see it in the Civil Rights Movement? Didn't you see it when King got killed or when Malcolm got killed or Megger got killed? Did you see it when Emmett Till got murdered? Did you see it when black women were raped? Did you see it when you know Rosa Parks stood up? Right, on and on and on and on. All right, they didn't, but they do now. So what is your responsibility? Like Abraham Joshua, Joshua Heschel said, the great, um, the great uh, rabbi, not all are not all are guilty, but all are responsible. So all of us have a responsibility. And white folk who say, "Well, I wasn't there," you know, I didn't even come over to this country until why blame that on me? You can still take advantage of white privilege just because you weren't here when the white, uh, you know, when white privilege was established. If you come here as a white person, then you take advantage of it. Then you are part of the system. So don't try to now act like, or as my daddy used to say, make like that you ain't part of the system. And so all of this stuff came to the fore, all of this came to the surface. People are trying to wrestle with and grapple with, you know, the inequalities that existed, the systemic racism. Finally, you know, you're on TV and people talking about systemic racism. Dang, we've been trying to get that word into the vocabulary for like 30, 40, 50 years. And all of a sudden the death of one black man changed the landscape. And so it's been a heck of a year and uh, to see the players step up, to see Black Lives Matter protester, protesters step up, to see ordinary white folks step up, people, you know, indigenous folk, Asian people, you know, from across the entire span of ethnicity and race and gender and sexual orientation in this country, people came together for a spell. And I hope it sets the, the bar and I hope it sets the temperature for how we're gonna proceed in the future. Yeah, I, I love the fact that you touched on something that I've been just applauding for quite some time. Like people from all walks of life, uh, over 50 states, over 30 countries engaged in this movement. But my, my, my next thing is, and the question for you is, where do we go from here? Because mm -hmm. I, like me personally, I feel like the momentum 
has dropped off. People sure. aren't visually showing like their support towards needle moving still. Like I feel like people are like, okay, the election was some type of symbolic trophy for us or something. Right. And now it's like, you know what? I'm good with that. Let me go back and deal with my ordinary life or whatever I had going on. Right. What's your observation of that? Well, race like basketball is a game of runs, <laughs> you know? So, you know, LeBron say, you know, I'm, I'm 18 years in now. I might not play defense for the first 50 games. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I might lay back and let AD have it. Um, so, you know, it's rhythm. Look, a lot of white people for the first time fell in love with black people. I don't care what they say. For the yeah. first time, they dug Negroes, right? Yeah. Like, oh my God, Jiminy Cricket, you're beautiful. <laughs> I fell in love with you. <laughs> and 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 they fell in love. And you know, when you first fall in love, you you know, flowers, candy, singing songs, and doing your thing. Then you fall off. Well, babe, you don't love me no more. No, I love you. It's it's just a different kind of love, right? So the thing is, is that I wouldn't be unduly discouraged. Yeah, you got to keep reminding yourself. You got to have date night, right? But first, it was candy and 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 Valentine's Day and and love you. Then you know it's the toothpaste is jacked up and the toilet paper ain't right and and the, you you left the toilet seat up. I almost fell in. What's up? No, babe, I'm sorry. So. So now that's the stage we're in so quickly. We moved from falling in love, white people, with us with us to like the ordinary stuff. But this is where the work gets done in any relationship. It ain't during court time. And when you're courting somebody is when you settle down with the kids. And then you got to figure out the family and who's going to work and who's going to not work and who gets paid and who takes care of the kid. That's just ordinary systemic stuff. So instead of saying, damn, what happened to us? Let's just say, let's look at this stage we're in and figure out how to, you know, in a serious way, uh, integrate uh, the struggle for social justice into everyday existence, the unsexy stuff. This is the unsexy stuff now. You know, it was sexy. Black Lives Matter and posting a black square on po social media. And yes, and crying and stars, it'll never be the same. And here we are, like, what? What happened? Did it happen? Did y'all did y'all make a commitment? Where that? Where the money? Where that though? So, <laughs> and the the election was huge, though. I will say, you know, the fact that we don't have Donald Trump in office is huge, and a lot of people should be happy. And a lot of white people see y'all finally got treated like niggeros. Y'all got treated like we've been used to getting treated. Oh my God, he just calls us names for no reason. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, he just jumps on us and 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 no matter what we do, we can't win him over. Oh, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, we know about that. Don't have, don't care how smart we are, you still don't like Negroes. I don't care how bright we are, you don't like Negroes. I don't care how cute we are, you don't like Negroes. I don't care how willing we are to go along with your program to make it. We don't like Negroes. No matter what we do, you just don't dig us. So Trump treated America like America treated black people. 
But people who ain't used to getting treated that way were tripping. Oh my God. I, this is this is horrible. Then they got it. Then they wanted to put him out of office. Oh, then they wanted to fight against him. Oh, we we were telling you that from from the jump, from the giddy up. We were like, nah, he ain't nothing nice, and it ain't cool. Oh, it was all right as long as he was dogging Obama, as long as he was like saying Obama and he was a birther and saying he ain't no citizen. Oh yeah, well, but when he started coming at you, white people, like, oh, you're ugly, you're fat. Oh, what's he doing? That's so barbaric. It was barbaric when he did it to Obama. But because it wasn't your body, you didn't understand it. Wasn't your team in the playoffs, so you ain't watching it. Don't affect you. The salary cap ain't hitting y'all the same way. So if it doesn't affect you personally or collectively or your enterprise, then you don't understand. And then America began to understand that this guy was bad for everybody. And so, you know, the election was critical moving toward Joe Biden. I mean, I'm not saying it's a be all and end all, but it's a hell of a shift away from what we've already had, away from what we were already dealing with, away from what we were trying to grapple with as a nation. And as a result of that, you know, we now, you know, set up to do something different. I mean, Joe Biden done set Kamala Harris up to be the first female president. Like that alone is deep, right? He got more cabinet members of color than Obama had, certainly more diverse than Obama. So the same Negroes who wasn't tripping on Obama stopped tripping on the white boy. <laughs> All right. Be honest. And, and, and don't be mad at white folk who are so uncritical of Trump. They would follow him into a pit when y'all did the same thing with Obama. My forever president. I ain't mad. I love Obama. Obama's much better than Trump, much smarter, top 10 president of all time. But he wasn't perfect. And the fact that we couldn't even criticize Obama unless we were called, oh, you're a sellout or you're a hateful Negro. No, Negro. That's our job to call into, you know, account everybody. Obama did some messed up stuff, too. Obama Obama didn't meet with the Congressional Black Caucus until two and a half years into his presidency. Trump wow, met with him in 60 know. days. I didn't know that. Yes, sir. Trump met with him in his first 60 days. See, if Trump had played it right, he could have just said, hey, I did some stuff your black president didn't do. Right. With the HBCUs, Obama first, real tricky with some of the stuff he had put into effect that really hurt uh, the uh, parent plus loans and so on. So Obama did some stuff that was jacked up. He would talk about black people. Don't pokey, don't feed your kids chicken and the, for breakfast. If a, if a white person said that, we'd be madder than all get up. Well, we said, well, he's a brother. He got a right to do that. Well, if you have a right to say something to black people that only black people can say, you have an obligation to represent us in a way that only black people can too. But he was always, no, I ain't, I ain't the black president. I'm the president. I ain't the president of the NAACP. I'm the president of, of America. Well, damn, high, high work. So you, when you want to, you can call him and jack us up because you one of us. But when we expect you to do some stuff that one of us would do, you claim you ain't the president of ours, you president of everybody. And Negroes fell for that hook, line, and sinker. Let's just be real. What, so, what, what would you want to see more of from Barack Obama? Well, I think, first of all, he was timid about when it came to the issue of race, something that he knew about more than most people. Like, that would be like having Karan Butler as president. And then we, we, we got a discussion about basketball. Oh, well, well you know, we really want to talk. <laughs> well, damn, I thought you were one of the greatest players. You know, you, 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 you gifted that way. Well, yeah, but basketball is controversial. And I really want to talk like, wow, whoa. So 
here's a guy who wrote a great memoir on race because they they dusted you off because you talked about the police is stupid after Henry Gates got arrested. You know, people said, well, he, he got blown off because, you know, he got blowback. He got blowback just for wearing a tan suit. They ain't want it, right? At some point, you got to go, this is who going to stuck with me, and this is who ain't going to be with me. And right. I think Obama kept trying to convince the other side, oh, please come over. They don't love these hoes. Yeah. They don't love you, <laughs> sir. They please <laughs> they, everybody. Oh, my God. I mean, come on, Doc. They don't dig you. So as they say in Tennessee, dance with the one that brung you. And again, I wrote an entire book on Obama. I love Obama. Appreciate all his great stuff he did. But A, he, he was very publicly critical of black people in ways that black people couldn't be critical of him. I think that's jacked up. Like, if you're going to go out here and make critical statements about black people, make them about white people too, though. Number one. Like, if you're going to come at us, then come at white folk. You, because otherwise, you make it look like, oh, white folk are perfect. They ain't got nothing that we got to jump on them about. But Negroes, I got specific stuff I want to come at you on. Like, if you're the coach, well, damn, coach, I, I mean, I know I'm the point guard, but God dang, what about the power forward over here? I'm on the pinch post, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> trying to do what I could do. But, you know, my man, I mean, come on, he ain't blocking out. He ain't boxing out. We can't get no rebounds. You ain't criticizing him, but you criticizing me. If you're a good coach, you got to understand what your player's strengths are. So he's criticizing one side, not the other. And that ain't fair. And I think that there were some more, you know, look, if anything Trump proved is that you can use executive orders to hook up a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> that all of it ain't right, but he got a lot more power than he said. There's some things you ain't got to ask Congress. Just make a darn executive order. He could have talked about uh, criminal justice far earlier than he did. Eric Holder was out there, but Obama was dragging his feet. Black Lives Matter didn't get after Obama like they got after these, these people afterward. It had been interesting to see Obama deal with them. But look at what he's done since he's been out. He's critical of defund the police. Now, look, if you read the whole interview, it was more complicated than people tried to make it out, what he was saying. But at the same time, you smart enough to know what they're going to take. They're going to make this look like you hate defund the police people. And maybe Obama's not a fan of defund the police. But at the same time, he comes out and he's walked some of that back. He said, well, because some people were making the argument that defund the police had cost us, uh, you know, some uh, some races. Well, where's the empirical proof of that? It's one thing to say that. Where's the proof to say that a lot of American voters were turned off by defund the police? Do you have data on that? And Obama said, well, that's what they thought I was doing. But you still didn't clarify it. You still didn't go. That's not what I was saying. <laughs> you still didn't say uh, that's not why we lost it. So, you know, he, he, he's smooth with his, he's nice with his, but the thing is you should say, Hey, I know why black people and others want to say defund the police because they killing black people every day. And Obama, but see Obama saying it cause he's Pharaoh. He's not the children of Israel. Y'all <laughs> he's saying it from in chargeness. He yeah. the coach. You ain't a, he ain't a player. <laughs> you ain't out here carrying this ball. You ain't shooting these balls. Right. So those people out there, the activists on the field doing the thing are going to feel differently than a dude who was president. Now, on the flip side, since he's been Pharaoh, he can tell you what Pharaoh dig and don't dig. He can tell you how it gets through. He can tell you what they're looking for. And we can't be hypersensitive on the one hand by saying, well, we're the leftists and progressives. Y'all need to have a packaging and marketing, too. You need to know what's going to work and what ain't work. And don't call it this. Don't call it. If it ain't going to work, then don't call it. What you want, the commercial or the product? 
if you want the product, it don't make a difference what the commercial is. I'm still getting the product. But no, I want to announce to the world what I'm doing. Sometimes don't tell everybody what you're doing. Bad boys move in silence. Have the really? P. Diddy or, or, or Biggie school of analysis here. So the point is that I think Obama was great. I think he was extraordinary. I think he did some stuff he could have done more politically. He could have done more socially in terms of the bully pulpit. And then when he came to us, what he gave us, um, my brother's keeper. Bruh, you could do that after you leave office. That, that's, some, that's some social service. Where's the public policy, right? When the when Jewish brothers and sisters came at him, they came in there. Hey, what you doing about Israel? What you doing about this? Environmentalists, what are you doing about the environment? Uh, gay and lesbian, they wasn't cutting them no slack. I don't care if you're the first black president. What are you doing about LGBTQIA? Black people, well, we just glad he there. That's why we ain't got nothing. You have not for your ass, not the Bible says. So we gave him a break, and he took it. And and I think that it was a mistake. Now they want to pile up on Joe Biden. I'm like, where was that energy then? Where was the energy when my man was in? And if you were a white boy, you're going like, hey, if you didn't ask your own man that, what you asking me for? Do you, <laughs> you think they ask learned from that, that, that terrible experience of having Obama in office and everybody's like, oh, look, we was woke, but now we got to just not be happy with the symbolic recognition of having a right. black president. We got to be aware and have specific demands. Absolutely. And we should have those for anybody. Anybody. Just because you a black coach of a team, yeah, we got to cut him some slack here, brother. Hey, no, no, no. You, in fact, you getting watched more than anybody. And you got to deliver. Doc Rivers got to deliver. You know? Or they'll let you go. Look, Doc Rivers led the way. He was crying. He showed vulnerability. They still cut him, homie. I'm just telling you. So you still have to be in, and I think it's, you know, he'll go to Philadelphia and, and bring some uh, vengeance on some of these people. But, but this. <laughs> Like, I'm going to get him back. Yeah, I'm going to. Uh, what, wait, what? I'm going to do it. <laughs> I, I don't get back at him. I'm not mad at you, play. I love that. So uh, the thing is, is that you still got to perform. You got to be up to snuff. And Obama sometimes expected black people not to criticize him. And even if he didn't, other black people were doing it. So he let him do it. Right. You ain't got to do it when somebody else got your back. Like, hey, you know. You're, you're you're somebody else is saying that it's wrong and they're criticizing and Obama ain't going, no, let him talk. Let him be critical. No, because that's not in your interest. So I just think that you, we look at white people and go, oh my God, they just follow Trump anywhere. Yeah. Okay. They ain't the only ones. And so I just think that all of us should be critical of whoever is our leader, not critical in a nasty way, just hold them accountable. Appreciate what you do. We appreciate what Joe Biden does, but we hold them accountable. We appreciate what Kamala Harris does, but we hold her accountable. Nobody gets a free pass. But at the same time, we understand the difficulties that they're up against. We understand Obama was the first black president. That people were hard on him. They want to give him no chance. Even when you figure all that in, then you won't be like, well, damn, dude, they dogging you. Why you dogging us? Like, you know what that ish is like. Why you using your big foot to step on our neck when they doing it to you? And so, wait. Huh? That's adding weight to the struggle, oh, man. Come on, man. I mean, come on. So let's, you know, I mean, there's mad love for him. There will continue to be. He's a historic figure, one of the greatest black people ever. But at the same time, we got to hold you accountable, bro. There's an exciting new podcast out from Gimlet, Resistance, inspired by the summer's protests. These are new stories from the front lines of the movement from black lives told by a generation fighting for change. 
hosted by Saeed Tajan Thomas Jr. Resistance is out on Spotify. Take a sneak peek and listen here. One, two, three, boom! On May 29th at 10 a.m., I got a text message about a protest from a friend. Grabbed my bag, had my goggles. I knew what to do. I, like, put on some pants because I was wearing my pajamas. Covered my entire face, combat boots. Took our bikes, got on the train, and we just hit the streets. I was like, let's go, let's go, let's go. When people all around the world first started going outside and protesting this summer, I'm kind of ashamed to say I was on my couch playing video games. I convinced myself that I was staying home because I didn't want to catch coronavirus, but honestly, I was afraid of being let down again. We've been here before. I know I have. I've marched, I've yelled, and yet we keep ending up right back here again. So how come when protests started this summer, people kept saying over and over again, this time is different? What were they talking about? What were they seeing? So I went out. From Gimlet, I'm Saeed T. John Thomas Jr., and this is Resistance, a show about people refusing to accept things as they are, people putting their lives on the line. I got sped on, kicked, called the N-word. They started pulling out their batons. They started charging at people. And the next thing I realized, I had like five police officers beating me up. People becoming leaders. Everybody! They are trying to strike fear in our hearts! And people becoming targets. These motherfuckers knock on my door at 7 a.m. You're the one making this difficult. We're just trying to get you to come outside. My first instinct was to run. And some people, like me, who've been feeling hopeless for a long time now, are suddenly finding reasons to smile again. Let me see that black joy, baby. And low-key, they're turning the movement into the move. It's like the summer jam or Coachella of protests. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, it's a vibe. I've followed this movement for months now, and honestly, I still have more questions than answers. Like, how can we make sure this time really is different? What can we learn from the people who've been here before? And how do you keep on resisting when everyone else stops showing up? Look at everybody going back to normal, man. What the fuck for? This ain't normal. Resistance premieres October 14th. Listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Black Lives, baby. thinking about economic inclusion and I, I and I immediately thought about people like these large institutions through these financial commitments uh you know some 10 years some five years all these different things uh this cash flow at you know black projects uh different black owned things and do you think that was a significant quick fix or do you think it should be more done going forward well i think we should have both and look quick fixes are great symbolic things are great symbols are great the symbols make a difference that's why we pulling down the, the darn confederate flags that's why nancy pelosi was it today yesterday talking about removing robert e lee that's important that's just a symbol robert lee ain't ain't alive but it's symbolic why we got this symbol here why does it represent who we are so let's not pretend symbols ain't important they are they're extremely important but they can't constitute the entire range of our substantive engagement with each other. So we need 
both the symbolic stuff and we need the substantive stuff, you know? And we need, you know, some real rethinking of race in America. We need substantive rethinking of systems. Every word that ends in system, we ought to think about. Public education, system. Criminal justice, system. Public health care, system. The systemic has to be dealt with. That's the structural, the, the, the inequalities that prevail. Not just what you, if you call me the N-word, are you kicking more black and brown kids out of school than you are white kids? Are you holding them to a higher account than others? Are you putting them on a path of what they call it from the pipeline to the prisons from school, school to prison pipeline? Get kicked out of school, get sent to detention, detention into jail, jail into prison. Or, you know, studies have come out saying that many white brothers and sisters see black kids as older. So we don't even get a chance to have a childhood. You look at Tamir Rice, 12 years old, in Cleveland, and the cops roll up on him, and in two seconds, he is killed. Our babies, because they see him as a man, older. We don't have get a chance to have a childhood because they think of us as dangerous and menacing. And so we need not only individual and symbolic uh, transformation, we need systemic everyday stuff, capital distribution, resource allocation, who's in the office making the decision, who can green light it, who has the capacity to pull purse strings, to make changes. So we need both and we need the symbolic stuff and we need the deep substance as well. Yeah, and I, and I know that faith and religion has always played a major part in your life. And yes, sir. you were the ordained minister at the age of 19. Mm -hmm. Can you just tell me like how important that foundation was for you going forward in your life and where you at today? Yes, sir. Well, it's huge. I've been a minister now for 41 years, you know, and got my calling at 18, 19, then got licensed and ordained 21. So, yeah, it was extremely important to me and has been. And now you can tell I ain't no Orthodox preacher, so I'm sure that makes a lot of people, you know, a little <laughs> bit unnerved. <laughs> but, you know, I think uh, preachers and ministers and Christians should be on the cutting edge. And we shouldn't be out here trying to uphold nonsense. And in the name of religion, I see all these evangelicals. I'm an evangelical. And when they say evangelical, they mean white evangelical. They ain't talking about black ones. Just like when they say working class, they ain't talking about the white, they talking about the black working class or the indigenous working class or the brown working class. They talking about white working class. Well, the white, the working class went for Trump. The white working class went for Trump, not black working class. So when they talk about evangelicals, now you talking about Paula White, and you talking about what's my man's name in Houston, um, the the pastor, uh, Osteen, Joel Osteen, <laughs> you know, and the Lord looked out upon us, and I think that it will be this way. Now I don't want to dog it, but I'm like, bruh, and Donald Trump has been blessed by God. No, stop it. 
Stop it, though. Now, he might not have said that, but he was a huge Trump supporter. So was Paula White. And and the rain, and the rain, and it's coming. And God's going to bless him. And God goes bless him. And God has told me that he's going to be the... Well, what happened? God was wrong? What, what happened? What, what, what you heard wrong? God, God didn't act right? And so now you're trying to say God... See, I don't believe God is uh, putting in Democrats or Republicans. Let me just say that. You know, Well, God put Obama there. But then did God put Trump there? You can't have it, but you can't, you you gotta have it both ways. If they God put God took a, God took eight, four years off, uh, I'm just gonna take this break. I'm on my lunch break right now, so y'all can have it. Do elect who you want. But when I get back, I'm gonna put my people in. Well, if God is God, even on the lunch break, God can determine what's going on. <laughs> so you can't have it both ways. Either God is there all the time or God ain't there no other time. And I don't think God is trying to select no presidents. I think God says, here's the principles, justice, truth, freedom, democracy, sharing resources, helping people. Then you jump in to choose who it is among that that you think fits the bill. But God ain't telling you, choose Trump over Biden, choose Obama over Gore, choose Bush over, God ain't micromanaging you. Like I gave you sense. Like the coach out there, like, no, I'm going to let him work it out. I'm Phil, Phil Jackson. I'm going to let him work through it. Hey, coach, what do we do? I don't know. You're on the floor. You tell me. <laughs> work it out. <laughs> so so the thing is, is that I don't think God be trying to determine who gets in and what. We got to adhere to values that we know reflect the Almighty's disposition. I would never presuppose to say who God chose and didn't choose. We, I just hope God choose me. And we got to be out there trying to do the right thing, trying to love people. I would rather get down with somebody who claims to be an atheist than some of these people who claim to know God and doing all kind of madness, bro. It's, it's nuts to me, right? I believe in the Lord. And therefore I don't believe in, I believe in capital punishment, kill all the Negroes. All you people killing babies and abortion. You you against abortion, but you killing people. You you believe in capital punishment, right? The contradictions are the the real religion of so many evangelicals is whiteness. They're worshiping at the altar of whiteness. Billy Graham's son, Franklin Graham, is worshiping whiteness. You ain't worshiping truth, freedom, democracy. You ain't you know, small D, you ain't worshiping. You know, you ain't worshiping God. You worshiping your white privilege. And the white boy, you mad at Obama, and he was far more moral than this dude they got in now married to one woman. If that's your that's y'all's litmus test. He married to one woman with his kids at the crib, and this dude done had three, four wives talking about grabbing stuff, and you saying God blessed him. All right. I mean, God does overlook a lot of craziness of all of us. But you got to still be responsible for it, and you can't get away with it, and you can't use God to justify and legitimate theologically some of this madness that's going on, this pathology. So their real religion is whiteness, man. And I'm not down with that. If that's the case, I'm an atheist, straight up to that white religion that worship is white, worships, worships white privilege. I'm an atheist to that, bro. And in fact, I think God is an atheist. God, like, don't even put that on me, bro. I don't even believe in that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not with that at all. <laughs> so, nope, I'm not a believer. <laughs> you, you, you've been one of the deepest brothers that, you know, I've watched from afar. I, I mean, if I'm watching you on any network and, and you're jumping on CNN or 
I see your first take or anything. I'm always stopping and just listening to the depth of knowledge that you possess. And thank you for, you know, always being exactly who you are and say you are. Thank um, you, I appreciate you. I know more brothers uh, like myself are, you know, looking for direction and looking for the leadership of people that we admire and recognize as, you know, our idols in this space. And you've done a remarkable job, you know, for, for years, brother, and just keep Thank doing what you, you're man. doing. But my, my ask would be, you know, what risk did you take by being that, by being truthful, by being mm. out, out, outspoken? You know, did you have to take, you know, risk for supporting your family? Did you get blackballed? Did, you know, I, I want to know wow. that type of story because I know that, you know, speaking the truth sometimes, you know, ruffle feathers. Yes, sir. Bless you. Well, thank you so much for your for your support, man, because the, the admiration society is mutual, my friend. I've had tremendous respect and love and admiration for what you do, for what you are, uh, for being a person of integrity, coming from where you came from. You know, like Drake started at the bottom, now you're here. Started at the bottom, now your whole team's here. So it's it's extraordinary what you've been able to overcome. Uh, and I'm glad you said that because I've paid a price. You know it. You know some bourgeois Negroes like, oh my God, no. How dare you criticize Obama? No. Oh man. People I done stood up for, they tried to jack me up, stab me in the back. People in media, I could call their names. You would know them, just don't even. And I've done helped them out. They won't even, they wouldn't even know. But see, I can't, I can't be driven by those kind of considerations. It costs you, sure. You know, death threats. I, I did a book on Bill Cosby. You know, back in 2000, what, four, five, six, whenever this stuff came down, Negroes were coming at me hard, man. I had to have, I have to have bodyguards out in LA. I thought it was a joke first. They called me up on the phone. I was like, yo, man, come on. You trying to take me out over Jell-O pudding pop? For real? You trying to take me out over, and the people with the Jell-O and the thing. You trying to, you trying to mark me for that? Like, cause I got a critique. Because he's crapping on you and you don't even know it. He's speaking down to you and you don't even know it. Then, because he was drugging us long before he allegedly drugged those women. Wow. Yeah, he'd been drugging us too, making us believe that, you know, dogging poor people was a righteous thing. That ain't brave for a dude who's worth half a billion dollars to be crapping on poor people who can't talk back to him. In what world is that brave? In what world does that make? sense in what world is that something that is meaningful and significant i ain't saying poor people shouldn't be criticized but when you on tv crapping on poor people and dogging them without understanding why they're poor what con what conditions continue to conspire against them and you don't have any understanding of what that is and you're using your fame to crap on them oh yeah i took heat for that you know, why are you trying to bring a black man? Now, how you like me now? I ain't saying, I'm just saying. I tried to understand that from early on. And so you often have to take positions that are tough, that, that garner you a lot of resistance, criticism and the like. But you got to stand there and you got to, you know, you got to keep shooting. You know, like, dang, I mean, uh, they making me miss my first 15 shots. What did Kobe say? You know, I, but damn, if I'm going 0 for 9, Negro, I'm about to go 0 for 30, but I'm not going 0 for 9 because 0 for 9 means I gave up. 
Yep. <laughs> Hope for 30 means I shot what I had, brother. Shot you in the heart. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to, I got to, got to empty the chamber. <laughs> so, so the thing is, is that, you know, you got to keep coming, got to keep stepping, but yes, there's been a deep price churches. You know, I preach against homophobia. I was at a church in Cleveland, man, black church. A woman came up to me, you know, you're going to hell. I was like, well, dang, did Jesus tell you that already? By God, I said, did you, what? He, I spoke to Jesus this morning. You ain't said nothing like that. And she said, <laughs> I said, well, dang, maybe I ain't got to watch my cholesterol there. What, what the heck? It don't make no difference. So then <laughs> she was getting all mad. And she says, you know what I mean? You preach that, that, that God made gay people. I said, and you think I'm going to hell? Because you're a polytheist. You think it is one God for gay people? And what God for straight people? What? What is God? Schizophrenic? Like, <laughs> like either there's a God that creates everybody or God ain't created nobody. Right? And so I try to challenge from within, even the people I love. Right? Let's be self-critical. Let's be introspective. Let's, let's not fight racism and then turn around and be homophobic. Let's not fight homophobic, turn around and be sexist. Let's not fight sexism, turn around and be classist, right? We got we to gotta look at the isms even within our own community, light versus dark, how we elevate light skin privilege over darker skin and browner skin, black people. Let's tell the truth about that and be open and honest and try to come to grips with those things. My daddy was blue black, man, from Albany, Georgia. And I saw how black people and white folk treated him because he was a dark-skinned black man. So I'm I'm very sensitive to that. So we have to look at these things. And yeah, I've I've paid a dear price. And thank you for asking that. You know, death threats, white folk mad at you. You're just running our kids. I I just don't believe it. And I can't believe you got a job <laughs> at my institution. So they would they threatened to withhold money. I'm getting it from black people. I'm getting it from white folk. I said, well, I'm just trying to do the right thing and do what I can do. Uh, but you will pay a price often for that kind of uh, honesty and straightforwardness. Yeah, and, and, and I'm glad you brought up the book that you did uh, you know, on Bill Cosby and also Tears Cannot Stop. Right, like, right. where do these, like, the energy comes to like put this pen to pad to talk about some of the things that's on your heart like that. Like do that often. You always knew that was a gift of yours or just something that just came about? No, you know, I, I mean, it's something you develop as you go along, you know? Uh, you know, you'd be like a Akeem Olajuwon. I wasn't even playing ball, man. I ain't know. And now I'm one of the all time great. No. Well, <laughs> chemo. That is what no. happened. <laughs> Elijah was like, yo, I ain't playing that long. Embiid, I guess I've been playing a little bit, but you know, that's what I do. Uh, so you discover your strength. You discover your gifts. You discover what you're good at. Um, and Dr. King influenced me from a young age, of course, Malcolm X, my pastor, my teachers. But then you go along. I mean, I didn't know a real writer in my community except my pastor. I mean, he was just so I, he was an inspiration. Um, so then, you know, reading James Baldwin and Ralph Ellison and Toni Morrison, it made an impact on me. Um, and so eventually, you know, I was going to become an or, you know, I was an ordained minister. I, was, I thought I was going to become a pastor of church, but then the black church kicked me out because I was trying to ordain three women as deacons. 
And then they kicked me out. I had to go back to school because school had already kicked me out. The white school kicked me out because I said we needed more, you know, speakers in our school. And they said, son, based upon the percentage of black people here, that's all you deserve. I was like, well, dang. And I got kicked out because you had to attend chapel every Tuesday. And I was skipping chapel in protest. So the white folk kicked me out. I went to the black institution. Black folk kicked me out, went back to the white people. Got my degree. I said, well, maybe God trying to tell me something different. I ain't going to be no pastor. Take up no collections. <laughs> Live like an NBA player. No. <laughs> uh, church, I need that rose rice. That ghost thing look good to me. No. <laughs> I'm just joking, all you pastors out there, sort of. So, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so I said, well, man, I got to do something else then. What is the Lord telling me? Okay, maybe I got to be a, a thinker and a professor and a scholar. I mean, I still preach. People still invite me. I still do my thing. But, you know, I'm, an, I'm a thinker. I'm an intellectual. I'm a scholar. That's what I do. And, um, you know, that was my uh, calling, it seems. And that's what I've been doing ever since. So you learn to, uh, you know, stretch out on your strength. And so at that level, you know, one thing leads to another. Then you start writing and thinking. And I've always wanted to be able to do that. So it's been a joy to continue to write and think and uh, teach. Yeah. And I want to appreciate I, I, I really just appreciate you coming on the show and joining me for this extended period of time. And I just have one last question. It's a question that I ask all our guests that come on, you know, just ultimately your legacy. You know, mm. What do you want to be remembered for most? Wow. A man who loved his people, who gave everything he had, emptied his chambers in defense of vulnerable people whose backs are against the wall and somebody who wanted to use his work and his life to make this world better, not only for black people, but for all people whose backs are against the wall and all people who feel underrepresented and marginalized in this society. That's that's what I'd like my legacy to be. Dr. Michael Eric Dyson, it's been an honor and a pleasure, brother. Appreciate brother you. Butler. Thank you so much, coach. I appreciate you so much. Good luck to y'all this year and uh, knock them out, man, and, and have a great season. Thank you, brother. Thank you.